Good morning, everybody, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Leah, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Monday, April 29, 2013. Today we're reading from the big book. You'll find us in Bill's story on the very last line on page 5, beginning with Renewing My Resolve. And today's readers are Rebecca, Janice, Judy B., and Penny E. The share ID number for Friday, April 26, is 4362. OA Preamble, Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. This meeting's primary purpose is to abstain, to recover from compulsive overeating, and to carry this message of recovery to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At A Vision for You Big Book Study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 Traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now call on Lois to read the 12 steps. Good morning, Vision View. This is Lois, uh, from recovered from Massachusetts. Very grateful to be here this morning. On the 12 steps, number one, we admitted we were powerless over food and that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, were entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people whenever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, came, continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him. Twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you, and I'll pass. Thank you. I will now call on Meg to read the Twelve Traditions. Thanks, Leah. Good morning. My name is Meg O, and I am a grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater in Vermont. The 12 Traditions. 1. 
Our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. 7. Every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. 8. Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA, as such, ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. 11. Our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. 12. Anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. I thank you, and I pass. Thank you, Meg. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year, and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star 1 to unmute. Once you're done sharing, let us know by saying pass. Then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. And today we resume our study of the big book. You'll find us in Bill's story on page 5 on the very last line on that page, beginning with renewing my resolve, and I will ask Rebecca, please, to begin reading. Renewing my resolve, 
I tried again. Some time passed and confidence began to be replaced by cocksuredness. I could laugh at the gin mills. Now I had what it takes. One day, I walked into a cafe to telephone. In no time, I was beating on the bar, asking myself how it happened. As the whiskey rose to my head, I told myself I would manage better next time, but I might as well get good and drunk then. And I did. And this is Rebecca F. from Connecticut, a recovered compulsive overeater, and very happy to be here and grateful for the opportunity to read. Um, This paragraph reminds me of myself and all the times that I said, this is the this is it, this is the end. I'm gonna once and for all uh go on a diet and um get uh healthy and fit and um unbeknownst to me the day would come when I walked into the restaurant or the kitchen or um the next party and um all of that resolve um disappeared, and I was back into the food and um, wondering, dazed and confused, how did it happen? And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Rebecca. Would anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? I hear Nancy, Katie, and then we'll get to others. Go ahead, Nancy. Hi, Nancy. Great for recovered compulsive overeater in Lewiston, Idaho. That paragraph describes me in the disease just perfectly. I tried that paragraph over and over and over again. I don't know how many times I had great resolve. Oh, I mean, and I believed it. I believed it hook, line, and sinker. I knew it. This time, this time I mean business. I am going to lose this weight. I never once thought about it. I'm going to get better or I'm, I didn't even know I had a disease at that point. I just knew that I was obese and I needed to get thin. And that was the only problem I recognized I had. So this time, meaning this diet, this plan, whatever it was I was embarking on, whatever new book I had read or whatever new TV show I had watched that, or whatever new diet I heard about that somebody told me about, this was it. This was going to be the one. And um, my resolve was high. And then they all worked for a period of time. I mean, you know, sometimes a short period of time, very short, and sometimes just until I got hungry again. But I would get a certain measure of the feeling of cocksuredness that Bill's talking about there. I can so relate to that because I would, you know, boy, I can get a couple of days and think, okay, I got it. This is it. I haven't eaten, overeaten for two days. I got it going on here. And I would be off and then... I, you know, I never, I was like Bill banging on the bar. I don't know what happened. You know, I know there's somewhere in the big book, I can't quote chapter verse where it says, you know, if we're really honest with ourselves, we can't think of sufficient reason enough for why we took that first bite, but, but we did. And that was me. I never knew why. I mean, I could never, you know, most of the time I just didn't know why I would just be there, you know, um, wondering how the heck did this happen again? What happened? 
And, you know, then I love that next part where he said, this, you know, I might as well get good and drunk this time. Because that was my theory. You know, I never wanted to eat just one bite of anything. I never once was going, okay, I'm just going to have this one bite and then I'm going to stop. Because I'm a binge eater, I wanted one binge. One bite would have never satisfied me. I wanted one binge. And um, so, you know, I, that was my theory. Well, I already blew the diet. I might as well, you know, eat, and then tomorrow I'll get back on track. I love that next time will be different. Well, the really sad part of my disease is that next time sometimes was not the next day like I thought or told myself, but sometimes it was the next week or the next month. And one time it was four years later on one of those things. I stayed in relapse for four years I love the opportunity to talk and share about these things because it helps me to remember what it was like. By reading Bill's first step, it reminds me of what mine was like. By, you know, um, listening to Bill's um, um, downfall to his bottom reminds me of what it was like for me when I was going down to my bottom. And it also reinforces that I do what I do today because I don't ever want to go there again. And I know that I'm assured by the big book that if I do what I do today, I don't have to go back there again. And so very grateful to be sharing with you this morning, and I wish you all a very great day. Thank you, and I'll pass at that. Thank you, Nancy. Katie? Good morning. This is Katie, a recovered compulsive overeater in Virginia. Renewing my resolve, I tried again. Sometime past incompetence began to be replaced by cocksureness. Um, this reminds me of when I was in OA in 1981, and I would get a sponsor, and I would commit my food to that sponsor, and then after a few weeks, I would say, you know what, I'm I'm a sponsor now, so I'm gonna I'm gonna change my food because you know my friend invited me out to eat, and you know that looks the same as what I had committed this morning. Oh, it's okay that it, I didn't weigh measure. Oh, it's okay that you know. There's a half a cup of cheese on there and, you know, a quarter cup of dressing and just mountains of fat because I didn't understand that I was addicted to all those things as much as I had, you know, the problem with sugar. So I justified and then I would find myself banging on the table because I couldn't stop eating and I ate everything that came free with the meal and I... You know, I didn't stop at at half the salad, like I said in my head. And, you know, so my problem is a mental problem. It's a lying problem as much as it is anything else. And I know on these lines we don't, you know, uh, say you have to do this or that with your food plan. But for this compulsive overeater, I have to be honest. I don't care what you eat. But you be honest about what you're eating. We have to eat every day. That's our uh, dilemma as compulsive overeaters. We don't get to, you know, alcoholics don't graduate to drinking beer, just like I don't graduate to eating whatever I want. And, you know, as long as it's a certain ingredient, I can't do that because I am a critical level compulsive overeater who will do anything to manipulate. I can manipulate anything. I'm like a mouse that can flatten myself out and get through the wall and eat the cookie on the counter. And I am like that. Not everyone's like that, but I am. 
I've been absent for decades, and my daughter last night when I was making my dinner and I took one little piece off the scale because it was slightly over, she said, now, would you eventually gain weight if you ate that little bit? And I said, well, yeah, I probably would, but the main reason I do this is for honesty because I have to be honest in all my affairs, and that's what this program teaches us because otherwise I'm going to, uh, as this says, you know, I'm going to be beating on the um, table and wondering, you know, what happened. (laughs) Uh, So with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Anyone else like to comment on what was read, please? Monica. Monica, go ahead. And then Kim. Good morning, Leah. Good morning, everyone. My name is Monica, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. And yes, here we are in Bill's story. In Bill's story, this chapter is about the progression of his illness here. And so here in this little paragraph that we're reading here, renewing my resolve, I tried again. I. I see I. I, I, I. I could laugh. I had what it takes. I was doing this. I was doing that. You know, this, it's a, he's in the I, I, I's. He can do it. He thinks he can do it, but he can't. And, um, and he also, you know, how quick forgetters we are. And that's part of our disease. And so in this paragraph here, we're seeing that, we're seeing the obsession of the mind work at work here. And, you know, his resolve, renewing my resolve, his resolve had nothing against the obsession of the mind. And this is why we need step two, you know. We're powerless here. We're powerless. And we need a power that's greater than us. And, um, and we're black and white thinkers. And that's part of our disease, too, you know. Well... As a whiskey rose to my head, I told myself I would bandage better the next time. This is our, the obsession of the mind talking to us. And it's saying, well, you know, I took that one extra bite of green bean there. I might just as well. I blew my diet. There's the black and white thinking. I might just as well go crazy. And, and so I did. And um, so, you know, it, it caught sureness. Overconfident. You got overconfident here. And that's so easy for us to do. And we think, well, you know, I got a few days here, I got a few weeks, but this disease is there. We are never cured. It's always there. And this obsession of the mind is the insanity of our disease, you know. And this is what we're reading and seeing here is we're seeing the true powerlessness and that willpower is not enough here in this paragraph. And we need something more. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Monica. Kim, please. Which paragraph are you reading, Fred? We are on the first paragraph on page six. Kim, go ahead, please. Good morning, Leah. Good morning, my fellows. My name is Kim G, and I am a recovered compulsive reader from South Jersey. As time passed and confidence began to be replaced by cocksureness, so as time passed, meaning he he was sober. No, and if, if alcohol was really Bill's problem, this would be the end of the story. If he purely had an allergy of the body, then this would be the end of the story. But it's not. Confidence was replaced by cocksuredness. And what does it tell us in the promises, the 10 step promises when we are recovered? It says we are neither cocky nor are we afraid. So we've heard about him being afraid 
so he's going to pick up, and now we're hearing the cockiness. I could laugh at the gin mills. That's like, I can laugh at Dunkin' Donuts. I can laugh at the fast food restaurants. I am above that now. I am at Goldie. I am holy because I've been going to OA meetings now for a couple years. Everybody needs to listen to me because I have the answer. Because my body is at a reasonable weight, therefore I am cured. And that's where he's at. And if I simply had an allergy to the body, I would just lose the weight and I would be fine. But you see, once again, he picks that up. And what happens? What happens? It's that what we're told in the doctor's opinion. We are restless. We are irritable. We are discontent unless we can again feel the sense of ease and comfort which comes at once by taking a few drinks. After they have succumbed again to desire again, as so many do, the phenomenon of craving develops. They pass through the well-known stages of spree, emerging remorseful with a firm resolution not to drink again. So this is where he's at. As the whiskey rose to my head, I told myself I would manage better next time. You know what? Monday morning is a great time to start a diet. You know what? The first of the month is a great time to start a diet. You know what? Mother's Day is coming up. When Mother's Day is over, that's a great time to start for a diet. But you know, since I'm never going to do it again, since I'm never going to taste these binge foods again, I might as well have the rest of the box the rest of the bag, the rest of the carton. I might as well enjoy it this one last time. And the phenomenon of craving takes, takes that person, and the next thing you know, it's one month later, one year later, and a decade later, and they kill, still can't stop. So this is why it's so essential. He's driving home. We have an allergy of the body, absolutely. And if that's all Bill had, this would be the end of the story. But the problem is we have this obsession of the mind, and in no time he was beating, his, beating on the bar asking himself, how in the heck did this happen once again? And with that, I thought. Thank you very much, Kim. Anyone else like to comment on what was read? Rose? Rose, go ahead. Thank you. Um, well, after... Um what was what was said here um, about absolute honesty and the whole paragraph being I, that it's just Bill in gear to overcome all of this here. Um, and then what Kim just added, I really, oh my Lord, I am like really lit up with the power of the recovery in this program. Um, on the first sentence, renewing my resolve, you know, resolve, uh, he's doing it. it it's a firm determination, a formal resolution. I tried again. He tried again. And some time passed, and confidence began to be replaced by cocksuredness, um, which is uh, absolutely sure or self-confident, especially stubbornly or overbearingly. And that definition certainly was me before um before I got a recovery in this program by working the steps. And this thing that uh, Kim added about the 10-step promise of being neither cocky nor afraid, and um, this is what yesterday I was um, uh, out in the playground with my daughter and her three kids, and and she politely said, Mom, would you help me um, 
I like to go to the ice cream stand with the kids. Could you, you know, could you join me? She appreciated I was in uh, in recovery, and and um, and I paused and and had a moment to think, and I knew I was on secure ground for myself, and said, uh, "Sure, I can help you." There are three little ones, and we went, and I hadn't been to that ice cream stand, and it was really an interesting experience because I sat there totally protected. Plus, I had a function to do with the kids, but I was no way operating off of my own strength, my own power, my own doing, and um, and I was filled with gratitude that I wasn't eating those those ice creams and I wasn't eating the food that was being sold sold there, and that um, uh, as it was said, I mean I had hundreds probably hundreds i'd never be able to count of times on the occasions where i had a firm resolve that i could do this and if i had uh, a long stretch of what i used to call abstinence which was actually control because i'd never done the steps before that now with the power of the steps behind me and i had just made my first face-to-face amend in the morning and I had a power in me that wasn't mine, that was literally protecting. And so, um, as it said here, you know, Bill is all on his own steam, doing it himself cock sh- with cocksuredness and, and with his own resolve. And he could laugh at the gin mills. And, and uh, I knew I wouldn't laugh at an ice cream stand or a fast food store or a bakery one day at a time, God helping me, the longest day I live, I don't have any laughter for them. I'm just saying, thank you, God, that you've given me the power this day to not put my foot there, or if I am called there, thank thank you for the protection. With that, I'll pass. Thank you very much, Rose. My name is Leah. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Renewing my resolve, I tried again. So Bill's taking out some willpower now. Uh, to try it again. You know, he's utilizing his willpower to conquer that obsession of the mind. I mean, earlier we read that he realized he could not even take one drink. So what does he have in his toolkit now? He has a little bit of self-knowledge, but he can't take but one. He can't even take one drink. And he's got some willpower. But let's see how that works. (laughs) Renewing my resolve, I tried again. Some time passed and confidence began to be replaced by cocksuredness. So he's got some arrogance here that he can beat this thing on his own. What does he have here? He has physical sobriety at the moment. Physical sobriety. But, of course, the big book teaches us that our main problem is a spiritual malady. A spiritual malady. It says, I could laugh at the gin mills. Now I had what it takes. Again, Bill is mustering up willpower, self-knowledge. But is that going to be enough? Well, look what happens. One day I walked into a cafe to telephone. In no time I was beating on the bar asking myself how it happened. You know, the willpower and the self-knowledge is not enough to conquer the obsession of the mind. We are without the choice when it comes to drink, Bill is without choice when it comes to picking up that first drink. And that is the issue. You know, that is the issue. That's what the big book 
is going to teach us. What is it that's going to restore our sanity? According to the big book, it's not going to be any amount of inner strength that we're going to be able to muster up. It's not going to be willpower. It's not going to be determination. I mean, we're reading about a very charismatic, highly motivated, intelligent uh, man. But against the obsession of the mind, it is not enough. Not his inner strength, not willpower, not determination, not any type of intellect he can muster up, not any human creation. None of those is enough. As Bill can, as Bill's story illustrates here, he can't restore his sanity on his own. He's going to need the help of a higher power, a power greater than himself, because because uh, there's no mental defense against alcohol. He has no mental defense against that first drink, none whatsoever. And I can relate to that. You know, in my own life as a compulsive overeater, when I said, no more, that's it, the end, you know, put the plug in the jug, no more cellophane bags, no more bakery boxes, throw all those ice cream containers away, everybody's going to be happy now. And all of a sudden, I would change my mind and taking a bite of those that binge food seemed like the best idea I'd had, a, had in a long time. But the disease was going to take me further, just like the disease is going to take Bill further here. Let's read more about it, and uh, I'm going to ask Janice to move on to the next paragraph, please. Thank you. Thank you, Leah. Thank you. This is Janice. Good morning, Vision, for you. I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Thank you, God. The remorse, horror, and hopelessness of the next morning are unforgettable. The courage to do battle was not there. My brain raced uncontrollably, and there was a terrible sense of impending calamity. I hardly dared cross the street, lest I collapse and be run down by an early morning truck, for it was scarcely daylight. An all-night place supplied me with a dozen glasses of ale. My writhing nerves were stilled at last. A morning paper told me the market had gone to hell again. Well, so had I. The market would recover, but I wouldn't. That was a hard thought. Should I kill myself? No, not now. Then a mental fog settled down. Gin would fix that. So two bottles and oblivion. You know, Bill's story is pretty dramatic, isn't it? It's pretty dramatic. Well, so is our disease of compulsive overeating. It's pretty dramatic. It's pretty dramatic. And I don't know about your disease of compulsive overeating, but my illness of compulsive overeating looked like this. It looked like this. Towards the end, towards the end, I was without defense against that first bite just like Bill here is without defense against that first drink. You know what that just happened to him? He had a little bit of sobriety under his belt. Now I've got it, he said to himself. Well, I have been there. A little bit of abstinence under my belt. A few days racked up where I, where I seemed to be able to control and enjoy my food. And then, and then that self-knowledge availed me nothing because the day came when just like Bill 
I walked into the grocery store. I walked into the coffee shop fully intending, fully intending to do what I had been doing. And I picked up again. I picked up again. And what happens when you wake up from that? I don't know about you, but why couldn't I remember? You know, why couldn't I remember? It says on page 22, why did he behave like this? If hundreds of experiences have shown him that one drink means another debacle with all its attendant suffering and humiliation, why is it he takes that one drink? You know, my problem was not the tenth bite. It was not the bottom of the ice cream carton. It wasn't the end of the cellophane bag. It was the first bite that was my problem. It was the first bite because that was always what set off that phenomenon. But why was it that in that moment I couldn't remember how painful that was going to be? Why was it that I couldn't remember this illness of compulsive overeating? It, oh, yes, it had the physical allergy coupled with the mental obsession. And it was my thinking, that mental obsession, that I was totally powerless against. And until I got to that place where that had me utterly doomed and desperate and done, you know, I was in that place where I woke up the next morning feeling awful, isolated. You know, I was surrounded by broken relationships, by deep depression, by suicidal thinking. The progression of the disease, I was lost, I was dying inside, and I was still alive. That suicidal thinking, this, I can't stand it anymore, I would say to myself. I can't stand it anymore. But you know what? That mental fog was still with me. I was not clean I was not transformed by the working of the steps. And so I was at risk always, always to pick up that first bite again. And what was I going to do with this place I was at? I had no other choices. I had no other choices. I did not yet, like Bill, know what the solution was going to be for me. You know, I am so grateful for this paragraph and how it describes in such detail that horrific, horrible, hopeless place. But exactly, I was exactly where I needed to be so that I could be ready for what was to come. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Janice. Would anyone else like to comment on what was read? This is Paula Paula and then Sheila. Go ahead. Thank you. This is Paula, Recovered Compulsive Rita. Whoa, doesn't sound like the same guy, does it, that we just talked about? I mean, there he was. Hmm, there I was, strutting my stuff. Oh, feeling so good. Feeling so good. Oh, this time's different. Yep, yep. And then the next day, and he wrote, he writes so clearly. What a, what a picture he paints. Uh, many of us have lived this picture. Actually, probably all of us have lived this picture. Remorse, horror, and hopelessness of the next morning are unforgettable. Now, that's not true. Because he did forget. He's saying it was unforgettable. No.
Paula, star one to unmute. Whoa, I think I lost you guys. Are you still there? We hear you now, Paula. Go ahead. Oh, I do apologize. I don't know where I started and stopped, but I will say I, what I, the way I started was that we see ourselves there, and that same man at the, the same man now, by the way, two different, so different, and there he is with his confidence. And you know, I just wanted to identify with that and come in because there I was. And then I'm going to go on to the next paragraph as Janice read it so beautifully. Um, to remorse, horror, and hopelessness. And there's a, a very, very black, dark picture, well, isn't that the truth, of the next morning, are unforgettable. But that word, unforgettable, no, it wasn't. No, it wasn't. Is this the first time? Is this the first time this has ever happened to Bill? First time it ever happened to me? Oh, no, time, time and again and again. The courage to do battle. She started with it. Can't finish with your start, though, honey. That ain't going to get you where you want to go. My brain raced uncontrollably. Oh, there was no control in this now. And you could see it didn't matter. It didn't matter. Impending calamity. No, I'm going to turn around and, and scoot right on down to that last line. Then a mental fog settled down. Oh, yeah. You know what a fog does? Have you ever seen a fog kind of all of a sudden buildings that you could see you can't see anymore? Oh, so deep the fog. You can't make out what's in it. Oh, but wait. Jim could fix that. So two bottles and oblivion. That's what he was seeking, and that's what he found. Thank you for allowing me to share with that. I do pass. Do apologize for all those number of things. Thank, thank you, Paula. Sheila, please. Hello? Yes. Hi, this is Sheila, compulsive overeater from New York. I wanted to identify in um, definitely in this um, the remorse, horror, and hopelessness. That's definitely something that I can identify with in trying to battle this disease and get clarity around it. The courage to do battle was not there. Uh, like if I'm, I don't quit except when it comes to this disease. Um, I've overcome many, many, many things in my life, but this thing here kicks my butt. It really does. Um, the isolation, I identify with the isolation of the disease. Sometimes I don't realize I'm in isolation. Um, I'm just kind of in my own bubble doing my own thing, and thank God for program friends that will reach out and say, hi, I haven't heard from you. And I'm starting to get call transition from you fellows, and I'm so grateful for that. Um, how are you doing today? How's it going? And it's so comforting to know that uh, I do not have to do this alone. Uh, for many, many, many years, I figured it's just up to me to figure out how to get this right. Um, the mental fog, I definitely identify. In. Um, you just don't know how you get from one hour to the next hour or how you get from one day to the next day. And you definitely are in some kind of fog. But today I'm realizing it's um, what I'm consuming that's creating that fog. Uh, and with that, I pass. Thank you for letting me share. Thank you. Would anyone else like to comment on what was read? This is Kim. Kim, go ahead. Good morning again, everyone. My brain raced uncontrollably, and there was a terrible sense of impending calamity. You know, once again, you know, this is about the obsession of the mind right now. You know, we're told on page 25, 
He said, we had but two alternatives. One was to go on to the bitter end, blotting out the consciousness of our intolerable situation as best we could, and the other to assess spiritual health. And what is that intolerable situation? Is that when we're in the food binging our brains out? No. Our intolerable situation is being abstinent. Abstinent is so painful. I have to be abstinent in the morning. I have to be abstinent in the afternoon. I have to be abstinent at night. That is so intolerable. My brain is racing. There's a terrible sense of impending, impending calamity. I am restless. I am irritable. I am discontent. And at this point, Bill only knows one solution. I only had one solution. Now, maybe one day it was a ding-dong, and one day it was a Dorito, but I always had one solution, and that was the food. That was the only way I knew to shut up that chatter in my head. So it says here, it all my place supplied me with a dozen glasses of ale, and my writhing nerves were stilled at last. I mean, I'd wake up in the night and my eyes would be darting all over the room and I'm thinking, oh my God, what is tomorrow? And this is going to happen and my parents are going to do this and my boss is going to do that. And how am I going to handle it? How am I going to handle it? And I would put on my funny slippers and I would go out in, the, in a rainstorm and I would go to a convenience store and I would get my binge food and I would get into, back into bed and I would start to eat and my rising nerves were stilled at last. That is the obsession of the mind. That is what is happening with him. Jim would fix that two bottles and oblivious. That was the best I could hope for towards the end. In the beginning, absolutely. Did food make celebrations more joyous? Absolutely. Did food make a bad day a little bit better? Absolutely. But towards the end, the best that I could hope for was oblivious. The best that I could hope for was a little anesthesia so I couldn't feel my restlessness, my irritability, my discontent. So this is my problem. My problem is that intolerable situation which is abstinence. And I have two but two alternatives. To blot out the consciousness with the food or to go to spiritual help. And unfortunately, there is no door number three. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim. Anyone else like to comment on what was read? It's Monica. Monica, go ahead. Thank you, Leah. Monica here again. Um, basically, I was just wanting to say how in this in this in this chapter, you know, we go from one extreme to the other. We go, you know, happy, uh, having a great time, carooming around the the golf course, looking good, got the tan, whirling fat checks, and then you know the whole the the chapter we have a, a paragraph of he's high. And then the next paragraph, he's being brought down. And then he has another little high, and then he's being brought down. And here at this point, boy, oh boy, this sounds, uh, he's close to bottom here. Liquor ceased to be a luxury. It became a necessity. And here he says, the remorse, horror, and hopelessness of the next morning are unforgettable. And, um, you know, the, the disease has him here by the throat. He has absolutely no control here, the, and he knows it, you know. The market would recover, but I wouldn't. That was a hard thought, you know, for a man who was very self-confident, uh, very, very intelligent, um, you know, cocky, and to have a thought like this. 
it gets them to the point. This is where the disease has brought them. Gin would fix that. So two bottles and oblivion. Oblivion. Unconsciousness. Unawareness. So now, you know, the, uh, the liquor is no longer a luxury. No longer a luxury here. It's a necessity. And what is he needing it for? Complete oblivion. So he is unconscious. He knows nothing that's going on. What a state to be in. He can't cope with anything anymore. And when he wakes up, he turns around and he does it again. You know, this is not fun. This is not life. He's living to drink here. And with that, I pass. Thank you very much. Anyone else like to comment on what was read? This is Katie. Katie, go ahead. Good morning again. This is Katie, a recovered compulsive overeater. The remorse, horror, and hopelessness of the next morning are unforgettable. You know, this whole paragraph is so sad to me, but I know that uh, it's just showing me that this is a progressive disease and it doesn't matter uh, the, the knowledge that he had gained. He was starting to understand that he had a problem, but that knowledge was not fixing him. And the remorse and horror and hopelessness was not enough to get him to say, you know what, I don't think I should do that again because look how bad I feel. So maybe if I just don't, don't drink today, I won't feel this way. No, he doesn't, he doesn't do that. He picks up the drink again to try to numb out the craziness that's going on in his head. And, you know, that was my experience too. I knew that I was hopeless, and yet I ate to shut out that thought. And it's just such a vicious cycle. And, you know, I am so grateful today that I don't have to do that that I remember what it was like. Um, There's 200 and some people on this line this morning, and I want you to remember how you feel this morning. If you're abstinent, I hope you remember that. If you binged yesterday, I hope you remember how horrible you feel because you don't have to anymore. We have a solution here that, you know, is not me coming and holding your hand while you eat every day, it's, it's a higher power who will walk beside you and will help you to take the next step, whatever that next step is, to put down the food and pick up this program. This program is for anyone. No one is too far gone. And that's the, uh, the great thing. I mean, I was the most pathetic member of OA for years. People, you know, people just shook their head at me because I, I was, you know, up and down and high on diets and, you know, could barely walk or, or get up because I was dizzy from starving myself or, you know, had food all down the front of me. I mean, I was not a program of attraction, and yet I was able to finally take the cotton out of my ears and be willing to do what I was told by someone who was a little bit ahead of me. And, you know, that's what we have on on this meeting is people who are a little bit ahead of you who can say, you know, stop. Stop the madness. 
you know, this is just so sad. Um, oblivion. That's what's waiting for me if I pick up the food with that past. Thank you so much, Katie. This is Leigh. I, too, wanted to comment on this paragraph. Uh, we're obviously reading Bill's story here, which is an opportunity to identify in uh, this is Bill's 12-step call, you know, on these pages. And it is a frightening and very vivid and detailed account of his descent into the madness of alcoholism. And it is a description of the progression of the disease. I mean, if we look at this page, we're on page 6, of course. If you look at the top, you know, we were just talking about Bill and his confidence and how he was laughing at the gin mills and uh you know, he's going to manage better this time. And look what happens in the paragraph that we just read. Um, the courage to do battle was not there. Uh, you know, he's at war. Who's he at war with? <laughs> Is he at war with the bottle? No, he's at war with himself. It's Bill versus Bill. It's that mental obsession that keeps giving him the permission to pick up that first drink. His real problem is an alcohol. His real problem is in his mind. He's restless, irritable, and discontent. And alcohol changes instantly his perception of reality and gives him a sense of ease and comfort. Now, he's at war. He's at war with himself. He is at war with himself because the obsession of the mind is delivering to him the option to pick up. And he knows once he picks up, that allergy of the body is going to be triggered and he's going to drink and drink and get drunk. And it is a vicious, vicious, vicious cycle. But we see the progression because now he's thinking suicide. What just happened? He was just confident. He was laughing at the gin mills. Now he's contemplating suicide. And, of course, what does he do? He makes a choice. And he makes a choice to uh, drink, and he makes a choice to seek oblivion. But what's the problem with oblivion? The problem with oblivion is you wake up. <laughs> you wake up, and you're at battle once again. That is the problem with the obsession of the mind. He, you know, we, he, has, uh, he has pain, he has consequences, but his pain has no memory. He can't remember the suffering. He can't remember that he's sleeping on his in-law's couch. He can't remember that he can't hold a job. He hasn't had a sober breath. He can't remember the tears. He can't remember Lois pleading with him. All he can remember, the only thing he can remember, even in this horrific place that we're in right now in his story, the only thing he can remember is the sense of ease and comfort which comes at once after taking a drink. Isn't that insanity? That's insanity. That is the issue here. Now, what if Bill can find a way to live where his mind doesn't lock on that sense of ease and comfort that comes at once by taking that first drink? And that process, which he's not at yet, of course, that process is called recovery. And that's what this program is all about. Because the greater aspect of our disease, the most dangerous part of the illness, is not when Bill is drinking. The greater aspect of Bill's disease, the most dangerous element of Bill's disease, is when he's not drinking. Because when he's not drinking, 
He's thinking about drinking. So the real problem centers in his mind telling him it's okay, it's going to be better once he picks up that drink, rather than in his body that ensures that he can't drink. And that is the mental obsession. And with that, I pass. Anyone else like to comment on this paragraph before we move on? Leah, this is Lisa from South Jersey. Go ahead, Lisa. Good morning, Leah. Good morning, Vision for You. Um, I'm Lisa, recovered compulsive overeater, and I, I just had to comment. This this is so powerful. Um, thank you, everyone, uh, for your sharing. Um, I, I am sitting here and recognizing the, just the sacred space that we're in and what a gift this story is for us. And, and I recall my my arrogance um, when I first came around. This was years and years ago. And I could not understand or relate to Bill or his story and had no idea why we had to read it. Of course, back then, my disease was hadn't progressed to where it finally got to before I recovered. And um, I love reading this now and seeing that, you know, I was Bill W. Someone shared earlier, oh, this is such a dramatic story. Um, you know, <laughs> yeah. It, it, it was a dramatic story, and, and I was living it, every moment of it, the remorse, horror, and hopelessness of the next morning. And I did forget them, and I do it all over again. Just like, I mean, I'm just repeating what everybody else is saying who, re, who relates to this. But should I kill myself? No, not now. That was me in November. I'm diabetic. And I had been doing very well and then on my food plan, and then I picked up and I couldn't stop eating, and I knew I was slowly killing myself. So why not just go ahead and do it? But I was too scared to do that, so what did I do? Gin would fix that, or a piece of bread, or whatever other number of foods that I abstained from would fix that, and so it did, into oblivion, into oblivion, until it wore off and I was right back again. I was right back again. And we're going to get to the, the miracle of Bill's recovery, but like was already stated, this miracle is available to each one if we simply follow the program as outlined in this book. We don't need all this other outside stuff. I mean, it's, it's just all right here. Find a recovered sponsor or get into, the, get into this book, get into the recordings, listen to this meeting, and be willing to put down the food and follow these steps. And you too could recover. And I am so very grateful for all of the inspiration and recovered folks on this line who gave me hope to know that I too 
would be one of them. Thank you for allowing me to share, and with that, I pass. Thank you very much, Lisa, and thank you to everyone who has shared this morning. We will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. And Judy B., will you please read a vision for you? Judy B., star one to unmute. Good morning. This is Judy B., gratefully recovered compulsive overeater. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you. Until then.